0: Okay, there we should be. Praise God. Hallelujah. It is good to be alive. It is good that we are uh, made for a time such as these, and we were uh, intended for it. So let us rejoice and be glad in the day that the Lord has made. He is uh, amazing and awesome. Lest I should forget, I would be sorrowful if I did miss... um, this is the eve of uh, 9-11, a tragic day in our, in our history, and I don't know about you guys, but I remember exactly where I was, one of those history-making moments in time where everything seems to stop, and it seems so long ago, and yet it seems like it was just yesterday. It's just so vivid in our minds, all the things that took place. And uh, we have a young man here that that would be even uh, more closer to his heart because it's in the area where he would be a lot closer to it than we were. And uh, so I want to remember that, that, that it is a, a time of, uh, of reflection. It's a time of thanksgiving, really. We should thank God that we're not in that place anymore. And, uh, and it's just, it's one of those times when we have to remember in our history that there are sometimes tragedies and things that happen that we should um, recognize that the. The waste of life, the disregard for life that, that some people have. And sometimes they do so and they act out so uh, because of religion. And I want to remind us you know, we're told all the time that, uh, that religion has killed more people than, than anything else. It's like I beg to differ. Godlessness and lawlessness has taken more lives than anything. Lawless and godless ideologies, Marxism, socialism, um, Nazism, all those isms, um, they take more lives and they have no regard for life, but praise God that he has caused us to understand and to know that we are image bearers of the living God. Every single one of us, we bear the image of God and that's what gives us intrinsic value. So I want to begin today um, by taking and, um, and making it as, I'm as, uh, uh, trying to find something on my phone, I apologize. Um, I want to take and uh, just take a minute, give a minute of silence and remembrance of those who passed away. There's thousands of lives that were lost on 9-11, 2001. And uh, like I said, it seems like so long ago, and yet it seems like just yesterday. And so I want to take a moment, take some time, reflect, and uh, pray. Pray for those families that are still dealing with the consequences of all the things that took place in uh, in that time. It is good to be in the presence of the Almighty, which is what we are. We're in the presence of, of Almighty God, and it uh, sounds strange to people that don't know and understand that, that we have a place where we can go. Um, sometimes it's called our secret place, and sometimes it's in public, and it's in the assembly where we can, we can by faith, just come to God and, and uh, just remember how great and how wonderful that He is. Um, He's an amazing God. He's a glorious God and He's worthy of all our praise. Amen? Amen. And what He has given us is everlasting life for those who know Him. And that's what He offers. He offers everlasting life. And He does so on the basis of one thing. He does so on the basis of His love. And He also does it on on the basis of His namesake. And we're going to focus on that today. We're in Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 15. Last week, I didn't really get a chance to uh, expound more on, on things that I wanted to, on the, the hypocrisy that we we're talking about, that God had called out uh, of, of His people who were in captivity in Babylon. And yet, um, with all that said, and, and the, uh, the, the fact that even in their hypocrisy, they were still sincere. They were really calling upon the name of God. They were really believing that God was the one who was hearing them, but they were doing it in hypocrisy and didn't really understand it. And when we went to the, uh, to the New Testament to see that the, the people at the time of the New Testament, there in Jerusalem, they had God incarnate right then and there in their very presence. We're talking about God, the Son who came to earth and was born of a virgin, just like it says, just as the Bible predicted. They had the presence of God right there. He was truly Emmanuel, God with them. He was with God with us. He was here. And they sincerely believed that they believed in the same God that he was talking about. But it was in hypocrisy. They rejected at the same time the very thing that God had provided for them. What God had offered, they rejected that offer. And some of them have been paying the price ever since. Because there is a price to pay for rejecting Jesus Christ. There's a price that that people will pay, but praise God for his love and for his uh, namesake, because that's what he does. That's why he does what he does. And we're going to see that here calling out their hypocrisy, calling out all the reasons why he shouldn't do anything for them except judge them, except condemn them, except cause them and, to go deeper into the, uh, the pit of, of, of abyss that they were in there in Babylon. And instead he says, no, I'm going to send you a deliverer. And it was for only one reason that he, he proclaims, and this is God himself that says this, so this morning in Isaiah 48, starting in verse 9, he opens with these words, and he says it's for his namesake. He's called out the, uh, the, the Babylonians in the former uh, chapter about their sorceries, their witchcraft, all the things that they were participating in, and... God speaks to both His people and to Babylon here, but He's primarily speaking to the people whom He chose, the house of Jacob. And He says here in verse 9, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. How would you like to meet God? And that's what He would say to you. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And then He says... And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob. Even Israel, whom I called, I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? Yahweh, the Lord, loves him. He shall carry out his good pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him. I have brought him. and He will make his ways successful. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you are the Sovereign Lord, that you are Sovereign Yahweh, our God and our King, our Redeemer, Savior, the one who loves us with a love unspeakable and unsearchable. It's unfathomable, your love. And you demonstrated it from a cross on which you gave your only begotten Son, who died a horrific death to deal with the wrath that we so deserved for all of our sin. How we thank you that you demonstrate your love for us, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord, for these words. We thank you that you do so for your namesake. For there's nothing about us that you should love. There's nothing about us that is redeemable, lovable, forgivable, nothing. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your compassion that never fails. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you that your loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Thank you for being our God and King and revealing yourself who you are, the God who created all things stretch out the heavens as you say by your own hands. We thank you. We pray Lord now open up our eyes, ears, mind and hearts to these truths and just have your way here amongst us. We thank you. You are a good God. You are the Lord God Almighty. El Shaddai. We praise you. We thank you. We bless you. Have your way in Jesus holy name. Amen. Amen. He begins with a great punch to the face, for my own namesake, I delay my wrath, and my praise I restrain for you. He's continuing in the idea that you don't deserve it. You're not getting what you deserve. I'm refraining from doing it. I'm withholding that from you. I'm holding back my wrath. And it's something that you deserve, but for my namesake. And why? Why is it for his namesake? Why is it that he has uh, said this? And he says, "In order not to cut you off." He's telling him straight up, "This is what you deserve. You deserve death. Death everlasting. Not just death once removed, death forever. That's what you deserve. He says, I'm refraining from that in order not to cut you off. That's what you deserve. I love God's language. He's very straightforward. He's very honest. He doesn't beat around the bush. And the point being is His name is holy. And His name is to be held as holy. His name is righteousness. His name is holiness. His name is purity. His name is perfect. And he said it's because of my name, because of who I am, I'm going to withhold this. I delay my wrath. Today too many preachers preach on this milk toast Jesus, this milk toast God. This God who only loves everybody, and that's it. And I agree with those other preachers who preach the truth and say, if you tell a bunch of sinners just that God loves them, what do they have to turn from? If they already believe that God just loves them, then there's no need of anything. There's no need to call out sin. There's no need to call out for repentance. There's no need for those things. But Jesus began his ministry saying, repent. And he was saying this amongst the people in a large group, in a big crowd, using the same kind of language, calling everybody there a sinner. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For the sake of of my name I delay. What's in the name? Names are an integral part of Christianity. They really are. Um, I was watching a video the other day, and it was Sam Shamoon, and he was talking with a, with a Muslim. And, uh, and the Muslim that the was uh, insistent that you know, he was calling God by some title, and Sam Shamoon said, Well, no, God has a name. And the Muslim, No, he doesn't have a name. It's like, Well, no, he does. And he took him right to Exodus 3 where God specifically says, this is my name, this is my memorial name, this is the name that you're going to call me by for all time and memorial. It's Yahweh, or the best that we can pronounce it, so far as I know. We're not really sure exactly how it's pronounced. Some people um, in the, of, of uh, Jewish um, bent, they say Hashem, so they don't have to try to say the name. But yet, he says, no, this is the name that you're to call me by. This is the name that you're going to know me by. And so it's because of his name, because he is holy. Names play a central part of Christianity. It's a, it plays a central role in, in, in how God sees people. It plays a central role in who we are. If you introduce yourself to someone and, and the person says, my name is such and such, and then later on you call them some other name, they won't know who you're talking about. Or they'll say, oh, wait a minute, that's not who I am, I'm, I'm this. Names are important. We want to be known for who we are. And in our B.C. era, we want to be seen as the, yeah, this is who I am. We want to be seen in the best light. We want to put on the best facade. We want to put on the best mask. And I'm not talking about face diapers. I'm talking about masquerades. We put on a front for people because we want them to think the best of us. And they want, we want them to associate that with our name. In this portion in Isaiah, the prophet is careful to remind us through the message that God himself is giving to his chosen people that He is doing all that He has said that He will do and accomplish, with whom He has selected to do it through, in the time He would, as He has allotted, to come to fruition, for their sakes, but it's because of His name. I'm going to do it for my name's sake, not for yours. Now that may sound real foreign to you as the God that you've always believed in. Well, no, God loves me. He would do it just because He loves me. No, He does it because of His namesake. This is the God of the Bible. Because He said, look, I'm I'm holding back my wrath so that I don't have to cut you off. And this is His, quote-unquote, chosen people of the time. He says, behold, in verse 10, I have refined you, but not as silver. What does that mean? And last week, if you remember, I mentioned the story in Genesis um, where Jacob was wrestling in Bethel, in this area of of the Middle East where he encountered this angel. And they're in this wrestling match. It's WWE on steroids. And and, uh, they're wrestling. And Jacob says to the angel as the, they're rustling all night long and as the sun begins to come up, the angel says, "Hey, let me go because the sun's coming up and I need to be gone from here." And what did Jacob say? He says, "No, I will not let you go. I'm not going to stop until you bless me." You see, there was another blessing that he had gotten. And at that time before, he had cheated. And his dad had asked him, because he was blind and he couldn't see very well and he couldn't smell very well and he was getting old. He says, "Who, who, who are you? What's your name? And Jacob says, Esau. He stole a birthright. He wanted a blessing, and this time when he's wrestling there, many, many years later, he's going to meet that same brother, and he's on the cusp of that, and right before that, the angel gets with with him, and, and they begin to wrestle, and he says again, I'm not letting you go until you give me a blessing. So the angel says, all right, touches him in his hip, and he's crippled for the rest of his life. He's got some kind of, he's now a gimp. And the angel says, what's your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. Jacob's my name. To which the angel responds immediately, your name shall now be Israel. See, God changes his name. And that's the way that God works. Because he changes our identity. And if you remember at that time, um, as I mentioned last week, Jacob, uh, up until then, he'd always, when he'd call out to God, he'd call upon the name of the God of my father. And then he'd call out again on the name of my father, Isaac. The name of my father, Abraham, and Isaac. And this is where he changed. Something happened within Jacob where he had to deal with who he was. And God says, who are you? And this is the way that it works in the New Testament when Jesus says you must be born again. You must be given a new identity. You must be changed. As I said last week, I explained to, to a, a dear sister here that didn't, had never heard that, that God doesn't want your heart. You hear this all the time from pulpits. Oh, just give your heart to Jesus. Just give your heart to God. God doesn't want your heart. He wants to give you a new one. Amen. He wants to take that old one and toss it out. He wants to give you a new identity. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to do that. That's why he sent his son, to assure that. And when I say he wants to, I'm not saying it in a sense that he's just up there in heaven with his hands folded going, Oh, I hope they respond. Please let somebody respond to my offer. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the God that we worship. That's the God that a lot of people preach, but that's not the God that's preached here. The God that preaches here says, I'm going to grab you by your scruffy neck and you're going to come. Come to me and be saved. No. And he convicts us of our sin and it's like a, a ton of weight that all of a sudden weighs us down because we know when we look at ourselves like Jacob did, he was forced to, what is your name? Jacob. And Jacob means the supplanter, the liar, the one who deceives. And his name is changed to Israel. Israel. He who strives with God. He who wrestles and contends, and who also who, who, uh, um, is the one who is interested in not letting go until he gets a blessing. He's made a new person. He's changed. He's now faced with reality, with the reality of who we are. And who we are is natural person and not good people. I know that there was a uh, people. Um, ask this question all the time. It's a theological question that they come up with and they ask it and they say, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And I hear preachers all the time try to excuse that away. I just kind of respond, well, hold on a second. The Bible says there's no one good. And we're going to read that. We're going to see that. And it doesn't just say that in the New Testament. It says that in Isaiah. There's no one good. In fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis, before the flood. And God says in Genesis chapter 6, before the flood, that man is essentially just a lost sinner. And that every single thought of his mind is always evil continually. And then he says, after the flood and the waters have receded, in Genesis chapter 8, he says the same thing. Man is evil and wicked from his youth. That's just the way that he is. He's always been this way. He will always be this way. Ever since the rebellion of Adam, when this creature from the dirt decided to play God, And so God, in His love and in His mercy, He could have started all over again. Right? If we just think about it for a minute, God could have said, you know what, I'm done with this creation, I'm going to create another man who will do what I say, but He didn't. And it's God's prerogative to do so. And So God changes us, and that's what's important about the name. He changes us. In fact, in Revelation, it says after His return, when we go to be with Him, He's going to give us a new name. Don't know what that name is. Some people pretend to give you a name, and they say, that's your name forever. It's like, well, I didn't hear God say that, so I'll wait until He says it. He changes our identity. That's what being born again means. He changes who we are. If you've never had your life changed from what you were before, then perhaps you've never been born again. And being born again doesn't mean doing something external, some physical act that we do, such as baptism. A lot of people say that. Well, I've been baptized. It's like, yeah, but have you been born again? Have you been born again? Well, yeah, I, I, I've, I've done this, and I go to church all the time, and I do, yeah, but have you been born again? You see, being born again is something that we cannot do. It's not something that flows from us. John is very clear on that. It's, it's not from the one who wills, and it's not from the blood, and it's not from anything that comes from within us, but you're born of God. And as I've said many times, it's about adoption. And that's the easiest way that I can explain it. If you're an orphan, and you're in an orphanage, and you see a, a couple come in, what goes through your mind? I want you to place yourself there. You're, you're an orphan. You have no mom and dad. You see a couple come in to the agency, to the place where you're living. What's your automatic thought? Is this my mom and dad? Is this who's going to take me? Who's going to pick me? That's how adoption works. And God chooses. And He's chosen here to delay His wrath. He's chosen, He says, for my praise, I restrain it for you. You see, because remember at that time, the people all had their own gods. They had their false gods. And I agree with the commentaries because they make sense. It's as if God is saying, if I totally destroy you, They'll profane my name because I'm their God. And why is that? Because we as natural, sinful, lawless people don't understand holiness. That's the only reason. We don't understand purity. We don't understand holiness. We don't understand how it all works. We wouldn't understand in our natural mind, God did this because they're worthy of judgment we would in our flesh be going, yeah, yeah, our God destroyed those people. He's more powerful than their God. It would profane His name. It would defile who He is. And He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Matthew Henry's commentary, part of what it says, Matthew Henry writes a lot. His commentaries can go on for a long time, for just one verse even. Very intelligent guy, very wordy, but in a good way. He says this. It's not too wordy. He says, The deliverance of God's people out of their captivity in Babylon was a thing upon many accounts so improbable that there was need of line upon line for the encouragement of the faith and hope of God's people concerning it. In other words, there were so many things that had happened to them And that were going to happen to them. Because remember, this is about 150 years off yet when this was actually going to take place in the actual timeline of history. And he's reminding them ahead of time, here's what's going to take place, here's what's going to happen. And he says it's it's line upon line of encouragement. Uh, Two things were discouraging to them. Their own unworthiness. How many of us have ever felt that? (laughs) You know, that's, that's one thing that I have gotten to share more in the last month with people who don't know God about that fact. Some of the things that I'm able to share is what you're dealing, part of what you're dealing with is you're, you're feeling unworthy. You're feeling unworthy of God. And I say, yeah, that's right. You're not worthy of God. You're not worthy of His love. You're not worthy of Him seeking you. You're not worthy of His forgiveness. You're not worthy of His redemption. Nobody is. That's the point. That's why God is so good. That's what grace is. There's nothing about us that should draw God except for His anger. And he says, these were the things that were discouraging them. Their own unworthiness that God should do it for them. So they're like, you know, and you think about it in the subconscious of your mind or even the the consciousness of your mind. You know when you've done wrong. You know what you deserve. You know what God should give you. This is the idea. Their unworthiness that God should do it for them. And the many difficult things. the many difficulties in the the thing itself. Now in these verses, both these discouragements are removed, for here is, number one, a reason why God would do it for them, though they were unworthy, not for their sake, be it known to them, but for His name's sake, for His own sake. And that's why God does what He does. That's why God saves us. That's why He has mercy on us. Not for our sakes, but for His. So that He would be glorified forever. If God has saved you, then for all eternity, you're going to be a... um, What's the word that I'm looking for? You're going to be an object of glory for God. You're going to be an object of glory because He saved you. Right? He says, Look at that, Alex. And everybody's like, Oh. (laughs) He says, I saved him. I saved him. He's saved. He's mine. And we're going to be going, What? There's going to be some people, and some of them might be us. People are like, What? No. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's to God's glory. We get to enjoy Him now and forever because He can save us and He saves us from our own wickedness. He says, It is true that they were very corrupt and ill-disposed, but God would Himself refine them and make them fit for the mercy He intended for them. Listen to what He said because I like that. He says He made them fit. He makes you fit for His mercy. And He says... um, I have refined you that thou mightest be made a vessel of honor. Though he does not find them um, to live up to his favor, he will make them so. And this accounts for his bringing them into trouble and continuing them in it as so long as he did. It is not to cut them off, but to do them good. And sometimes it does feel like that. I was talking with my cousin last night. And one of the things she said over and over again, she goes, I don't know why God chose me. I, I, I don't know why God chose me to save me, number one, but I don't know why he chose me to go through this. In the medical textbooks, they're telling me that this thing is so rare, why me? But she wasn't doing that in, acts, in, in uh, uh, exasperation. She was doing it just going, you know, why God chose, I don't know. And both her and I agree, and I said, I don't think this is your last. I think God at the last minute is somehow, some way, going to get some glory out of this. And I'm hoping that that's the case. He says sometimes He gets us and takes us through things that we don't believe that we can get through, and He leaves us there for a long time until He comes through and says, now I'm going to act." now i'll swoop in and save you for my name's sake for my glory's sake so that i can get the glory not that god is a glory hog he isn't he's not like us we like to be in the spotlight when we're in it especially when it's by accident oh yeah yeah that's that's me yeah not god he is worthy of the glory in everything that he does. He says, it was to refine them. Listen to this, but not a silver. Not so thoroughly as men refine their silver, which they continue in the furnace till all the dross is separated from it. If God should take that course with them, they would be always in the furnace. For they are all dross as such might justly be put away as reprobate silver or rejected silver." In other words, if God were to try to take away all the dross, there would be nothing left. Right? Because that's how wicked and evil that we are. That's the idea. And I love that he's expressing it this way. This is still Matthew Henry because he's saying that he understands Who and what we are in our natural state. We're not good. When we look at ourselves honestly in light of who Christ is, we're undone. We're like Isaiah. We're like Isaiah. I've seen the Lord on his throne, and I'm undone. I I woe is me because I I live amongst men of unclean lips, people of unclean lips. Yeah. Cuz he saw himself in light of who God is. When Jacob was wrestling with the angel, he saw himself in light of who God is. God gave him a new identity, a new name. He changed him. He made him new. In verse 11 and 12, he says, For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. He's already said that. And as I said earlier, Jesus, in the time that he had put his feet down on the earth, on the creation that he had made, he was there... As a man, he was God incarnate, and they missed it, because it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they had imagined. If you remember, um, it was just over a month ago when we had uh, a church in the park, I did a little message on receivership. What is it that Paul gave to the church that he had received and gave to them? And I went through a list of things. And the most important thing that he had received is new life. He had received resurrection. He had received rebuke. He had received reproof. He had received the truth. And most importantly, and the best thing of all, he had received Christ. He took him at his word. If you remember last week in the book of John, when we were reading and the Pharisees were questioning Jesus and they were basically calling him illegitimate. They were essentially calling him a bastard. And Jesus said, you don't know where you come from, but I know where I come from. I'm not from here, I come from above. I know my Father. and My Father knows me. He condemned them with their very thoughts and the very things that they were doing. And he even went so far as to say, I know who your Father is. You don't know. The reason you can't receive my word is because my word has nothing in you. If you loved the Father, you would love me, but you don't. Because you're not of my Father. You're of your Father, the devil. Kablam! I mean, that's a flying knee kick to the head. These guys really believed that they were honoring God. They really believed that they were doing something for God and condemning the one who made everything. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know who he was. He says, for my own sake, for my very own sake, I will act. How can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. See, God had given him his glory. But God will not give his glory to another. Well, if you're already God, you already have it. It doesn't have to be given. And Peter writes about it, and Matthew and Mark and Luke write about it, where he's up on the mountain in the transfiguration. And all of a sudden, Jesus is standing there with with the two or three that he had brought with him, and he's all of a sudden transfigured. He's there, and all of a sudden it's a light, and one of the Gospels says that it was a light so bright that you couldn't, it was brighter than the noonday sun. It was so bright you couldn't open your eyes. The light that was shining from within him, it was just a glimpse of his glory. That if we were to see His glory in fullness, we would just fade away. Because we can't see His glory and live. He says, I will not give my glory to another. He says, listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel. Remember, Jacob is the natural man. When he finally was honest with God, said, okay, this is who I am. Then God calls him Israel, the spiritual you go from the natural to the spiritual. It's a picture of being B.C. era versus being born again. Regeneration. He was regenerated and He changed. And then He says, even Israel, whom I called." then He says, I am He. I am the first and I am the last. Now that's an important thing because if He's the first... That means or implies this idea. If he's the first, and as Paul says, the firstborn of all creation, that means he was before creation. Before anything was created, he was already there. Because nothing doesn't create something. Nothing can do nothing because it's nothing. In spite of what teachers and professors and so-called scientists tell us, that everything just happened from a big bang. And that nothing created everything. It's the most nonsensical thing that I've ever heard. But Christ, the glory that He had, He had with the Father. He says so in John chapter 17 when He's praying with the, the uh, disciples there. And he says, Father, glorify me. With what? With the glory I had with you before the world was. You see, when he says I am the first, he means I was there before the first began. I was the first first and the only first, but I'm also the last. Meaning, when everything else is all poof, gone, when it's all done and over with, I still am. This is another way of just saying, I am. I'm always the self existing one. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I just am. And that's what he's reminding them of. He says, Surely my hand founded the earth. He's reminding them, I'm the creator. I did this. Verse 13. And my right hand spread out the heavens. So everything you see here on earth that you can see all around you, Everything that you can see in the horizontal, I did that. Everything that you see looking up that you don't even comprehend or understand, and the expanse thereof, I stretched it out. I did that. And when I call to them, they stand together. It's almost like a dig from God. See, When I speak to creation, it responds. As I command it. Some of y'all, not so much. (laughs) Then he says, assemble all of you and listen. It requires that we should listen to him. He says, who among them has declared these things? And then he switches here in the middle of verse 14 and says, the Lord loves him. He will carry out his good pleasure on Babylon and his arm will be against the Chaldeans. Well, who's the one that the Lord loves here? This is Cyrus. That pagan king that he's going to use says here that he loves him. It's the word achab. It's the Hebrew word achab. And it literally means a human love for another, which includes family, a familial love, and it also is um, a sexual love. It's a human appetite for objects such as food or drink or sleep or wisdom like, man, I love me a good nap. Oh, I love me some good pizza, love some fried chicken, a good steak, right? We say that all the time. I love ribs. Mmm, ribs. Sorry, I'm not, I'm meaning to make you hungry, but as he wipes his mouth. Um, it's, that's the idea. It's, it's human love for or to God, and it's also God's love towards man. To the individual man, to a group of people, and it's also God's love towards righteousness. God loves righteousness. That's the word achab that he used there. This is what he feels and what he expresses towards this Cyrus, whom he will use to let his people go, another deliverer to bring them back to their own land. Finally, in verse 15, he says, I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him, and I have brought him, and he will make his ways successful. There you have a third person, someone speaking in the third person. First he says, I have brought him. Then he says, he will make his ways successful. Interesting. Interesting switch there. He's talking about Cyrus, He says, everything that I say He's going to do, He's going to do because I have proclaimed it. I have ordained it. I have loved Him, and I'm going to use Him. And He's the one that I'm going to use as this instrument, because that's God's prerogative, to choose whom He wills. Now, when I said earlier that there is no one good, and these passages kind of show that idea that there is nothing good about us that God should love. There was nothing good about them that he should love. If anything, he's already said, I should just cut you off. Right? But he says instead, for my own namesake, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to bring you back to your land. And I'm going to be Emmanuel, God with you. And I'm going to give you back your temple where you can commune with me. I'm going to do these things because of who I am, not because of who you are. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, Paul wrote this. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged with that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. In other words, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is under the condemnation of God. I think it was Matthew Henry or Jonathan Edwards that says, Um, We don't recognize, something to this effect, that we're walking on rotted boards with a raging fire underneath us that burns for eternity, and we're walking on rotted boards because that's what we deserve. It's only by God's grace that we're not falling through, that we should find ourselves here worshiping, rather than somewhere in a horrible place, suffering. He says, as as I've charged, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, so we're all equal, the foot of the cross. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's one of the problems today. People have lost the fear of God. And a big part of it is like, I, I commend this to you when you're sharing the gospel. Go back to creation. I think that's one of the things that's missing in our evangelism. Paul did it at Mars Hill because he had to remind them, look, everything came from something. What is that something? There had to be an origination, an originator. Something from which everything originates. There had to be a first cause. And Paul is saying here, there's no fear of God. And when we remind them that we're created and that we owe everything to a creator. And more so when we remind them all have sinned and fall short of the glory of this holy God. And that one day, as we were speaking last night, Norma and I, I reminded her. I said, this is what's so awesome about God. You'll never taste death. Your eyes will close. And when they open, his hands will wipe away all your tears. The very hands that made everything, that stretched out the heavens. Those nail-scarred hands that took sin for us. That suffered the wrath of God for us. You'll go on to live like you've never lived before. She said, Yes, amen. Yes. Tears rolling down her cheeks. She said, That's what's going to happen when you do. I don't think it's going to be this time, but when you do, that's what's going to happen. You won't taste death. That's God's promise for those who believe Him you'll be gone from here and we'll be jealous of you. We'll call you names because you went before us. But you'll be living life like you've never imagined. That's His promise. There is no fear of God. And one day on that side, if she were not a believer, she would stand in judgment and she would give an answer all of her deeds or better said for all of her misdeeds and that's what we have to face every single one of us especially those I was just speaking this morning earlier with with Carrie I fear for those I fear for those godless lawless people who think that they're getting away with everything with impunity I fear for them because one day they're going to step before God in eternity and they're going to be made to stand alone. And there's not going to be a recourse. There's not going to be a lie that they can tell. There's not going to be an excuse that they can come up with. Because God knows every intent of their heart. And they're going to pay a recompense, they're going to be judged. And the biggest thing that they're going to be judged for is God has offered you eternal life in His Son. As Paul said, men everywhere, God has commanded that men everywhere should repent and believe and trust in Jesus and be baptized and be saved. Not that baptism saves you, that's just part of what we do when we become believers. But there is no fear of God before their eyes. And I fear for them. I truly do. They have to stand before this holy, righteous God who in the book of Revelation, Jesus, when He returns, says His eyes are aflame the fire. He sees right through. Those blazing eyes are looking right through them. And they're going to have to answer one by one then he says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's why we say the law has been fulfilled, praise His holy name, by Jesus, praise His holy name. And so we are no longer required to be fulfilling that law because it's already been fulfilled. He fulfilled it for us. Yes, we're free. Amen? And then he says, So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. All the world. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have believed. It doesn't matter what you have been taught. What the Bible says is true. Everyone is accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin, it's by grace. And that's what God is displaying back in Isaiah. In all the things that He says, He's displaying His grace. You see, God owes nothing to anyone. No one will make God a debtor. No one can. We're all indebted to Him. And that's what God is saying. You're indebted to me, but I'm going to give you grace. Have you received his grace? Have you been touched by his grace and transformed? Have you been given that new identity? Have you been given that new heart? He doesn't want your heart. He wants to give you a new one. Amen. And then he just begins to work in our lives like as as Carrie testified earlier. And as I can testify in my testimony that God took things away from me that I wasn't trying to have taken away. He, did that. he took things away. He took away the booze. He took away all the pornography. He took away all that stuff. He took away all the partying. He took away all those desires. I didn't even know it. I went for weeks before I realized... Whoa, wait a minute. Something's changed. Something's different. Something's new. I knew that I had committed my life to Christ, but I didn't realize that I had changed that much. It's because I wasn't who I used to be. And praise God for that. He changed me. He changes us. He gives us a new name, a new identity. And that's what God does. He doesn't owe anyone anything. But He's so gracious and compassionate and so kind. He doesn't... Anything that He does that blesses us and doesn't condemn us is for His own namesake. It's not because of us. Nobody's ever going to stand before God and go, I can't wait. God owes me a lot. Ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to do that. As regenerate people of God, He has given us a new identity, a new name if you will. A new last name, because we're part of a new family. We have been adopted by the King, the Creator, our Father who's in heaven. We're part of a new family. We have a new destiny. We have a new destination. And the destination is not so much a place as it is a person. It's a person, Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Have you given yourself to him? As with the Israelites in the Babylonian at captivity, even though they had no claim of anything that he had done that was good to them, God having called them out for their hypocrisy and rebellion, yet he chose to do a marvelous work among them, so that his name would not be profaned among the heathen, the idolaters, and the surrounding peoples. He does so for his namesake. God is holy. And he must be treated as holy. And it's something that we forget too often. But God is also love and he does love. And he loves to forgive. He loves to redeem. Amen? Amen. He loves to make us new. And he loves to pour out his mercies every day. If we'll just recognize them. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank You for the way that You have displayed Yourself in Scripture so that we can know You. We deserve absolutely none of Your love, none of the grace that You pour out, that You pour out so graciously that You do so in accordance with the riches which are in Christ Jesus, which are incalculable. We cannot even fathom the riches that He is worth. You so lavishly Pour them down upon us. Thank you. Thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you for justly paying for our sins that we might live. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things and more. Help us to remember that you are holy. And Lord, I'm just going to ask, Father, that you would just help us to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. As we share this gospel, this good news, this hope with those around us. Empower us, Lord, to share this gospel with power from on high. For your name's sake, for your glory's sake, for your namesake alone, use us, Lord, for your namesake and for your kingdom's sake. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.